Hello, sports historians. Welcome to another episode of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. We continue with our uninterrupted series. How many guys do you know that are in the L.A. City Section Hall of Fame and the Southern California Jewish Sports Hall of Fame? I know one. It's Randy Rosenblum. That's right. We're going to go 71 minutes straight with Randy uninterrupted. We released it over the new year, and we called it a Randy New Year. It was recorded October 14 of 2019. Enjoy Randy Uninterrupted. I actually shot it farther <laughs> than I expected. Welcome, buddy. Good to be here. Good to be with Denny Lennon. Very good. How'd you do on your shot? I missed, but the rebound went in. I shot from farther <laughs> out and got the rebound and scored. Well, you know, you'll join a, uh, a long list of esteemed guests that have missed their shot outside. I see, but I don't know if it's really a miss because I got the rebound and I put it back up. So and, I got the and points and I got a rebound. When you got the rebound and you're on the left side, right? did you use the left hand? Yes, I'm no, ambidextrous. Then, it's, then, it, then, it's, then it's legit. Yeah, I'm ambidextrous exactly and I can what, shoot with either hand. That's exactly what Coach Wooden would expect out of you. I would think. Well, the coach <laughs> taught me well. <laughs> hey, Dad, I can't, I, I'm looking forward to talking about that. So, Randy, when did, I, I was going over and I was trying to think when we, you and I met. Um, and I kind of forget if it was when you first was do one of the AAU beach volleyball games or perhaps when I was thrown into, um, you know, like a Time Warner game or something like that. I believe it's at AAU. Yeah, I, think I think that's so. when we started doing some matches. Then after we had some success as broadcasters on the AAU circuit, uh, I believe then uh, Time Warner realized that the Randy Rosenblum, Denny Lennon combo tandem would work. Did we, um, do you, re- I don't know if you remember, those were uh, fun days doing those uh, games at the beach at Hermosa, but we would, um, we would fly the cables from, a, right. from across the hotel over, over the, uh, the streetlights yeah. and then down onto the sand. <laughs> and that didn't go so well with the fire department eventually. No, it didn't, but, <laughs> but the shot itself was really good. It was really good. And from a perspective of broadcast television or cable television at the time, that was the most important thing. It the was. program looked good. What I enjoyed about the AAU matches, you're seeing the future. You know, whenever Absolutely. you do youth sports in general, but especially those AAU beach volleyball matches, terrific players, just the beginning of their careers. A lot of them have gone on to bigger and better things, but it was terrific to watch them in their beginning stages. And some of which, I mean, you could see, uh, have, you know, called some Olympic Games. You could see that that was the pipeline. Right. That they would come up through there. Yeah, and we'll see more over the years. We'll it's, see more. It's, it's going to continue. So um, let's let's go back a little bit. Where'd you, where'd you grow up? North Hollywood, California, exactly where I am now. I uh, am in the same home I grew up in. Oh, wow. Uh, my parents moved there when I was two and a half. Okay. Uh, I'm a little older than that now. Unfortunately, the parents have passed away. I've uh, changed the house up a little bit, put some dollars into it, but uh, I'm thrilled uh, to be back uh, where I started. I did move away for... A time I went and uh, moved to Canada on a broadcast project okay. for a while, and then I was in Vegas doing UNLV sports and mm-hmm. working at a couple different stations there. So I, I, but when my mom got sick near the end, I came back home, and I, when she went, uh, you know, that was it. I just stayed in the house after she passed away. Sure. What did, what what did your um? Tell me a little about your parents. Like, what did they do? My mom was a stay-at-home mom, okay. and I was not an easy kid. I, was I would difficult. imagine. No, I was uh, rambunctious. Verbose. Yes. Um, <laughs> actually shy as a child, believe it or not. Uh, five pounds, 13 ounces. Okay. And uh, I 
took that small size, and I was very shy, but I came out of it, obviously, after a period of time. My dad worked at a clothing store. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, lingerie. Which one? Uh, Lucy Ann Lingerie in Where? Beverly Hills. Beverly, Beverly Hills. Hills for like 20 years. He was the brother of Slapsy Maxi Rosenblum, and I know we're going to get into that. He was Absolutely. the youngest brother. So, yeah, my dad was a very quiet, shy gentleman. Seriously. Had a great personality once you would open him up. But it was my mom. She, she was, was the one who was outspoken and was, uh, I think I take after her a little bit. <laughs> you have uh, brothers and sisters? Nope, I'm the only child. In fact, I'm the last Rosenblum. Oh, okay. Uh, that's it. When it uh, finally ends for me, hopefully in about 40 or 50 years. Uh, oh, man. Uh, that'll be the end of the Rosenblum Well, we'll life. put this down for all posterity's sake. Absolutely. This will be, this will be good. Um, so... You brought it up, Slapsy Maxi. Um, that's one of uh, when when I first met you and I heard the last name of Rosenblum because you know my uncle Jimmy Lennon, sure. the boxing announcer, and I was always drawn to boxing and enjoyed going to the Olympic Auditorium and stuff. So I kind of would work my way backwards, study some history, and so I recognized that name. And he was not only a boxer; he went beyond that. But tell me a little bit about Slapsy Maxi. Well, he did fight at the Olympic. Yeah, uh, he he fought everywhere, Madison Square Garden. Uh, Slapsy Maxie Rosenblum is not a household name now, but when I was young, he was famous. Yeah. Um, he, he was the uh, light heavyweight champion of the world from 1929 to 1934. Okay. Uh, he fought more rounds as a champion than Joe Lewis boxed in his entire career. Is that? Wow. He was a uh, crazy individual. He, he got into boxing because he really wanted to be a comedian. Okay. And he wanted the notoriety, and uh, it just so happened he was – a troubled youngster, and he got into a lot of fights, and he got into boxing, and he was good at it. He was a tremendous defensive fighter, considered by many as one of the great defensive boxers of all time. No power. But he had as many or more professional fights than anyone in the history of the industry. And that's something. Some of the numbers you don't really know because different books have different numbers for different Mm -hmm. fighters. But if you calculate... The amateur fights to go along with the professional fights. He had close to 400 fights. That's a lot of... So when he went into broadcast after that, he did radio and TV. He was a movie star. He had his own nightclub. He has all these different things. Yes, he did have a radio show. He did go into broadcast. But he mm-hmm. slurred his words a lot. And he would sure. say to people, I had 400 fights. What's your excuse? <laughs> so he was a very interesting character, lovable guy, clean cut, didn't drink, didn't smoke. Was he out this way? Uh, he moved out here to uh, enhance his future movie career. He was a New Yorker. He, so he, that's where he won his light heavyweight title. Yeah, he was a champion. At he the was, Garden? Yeah, he was friendly with, uh, with uh, a lot of different people, including Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, they had numerous meetings on the train when he so, was the president, and they so, would talk boxing. Because Roosevelt what was— What train? Is, how's he getting on the train with the president? How does this Well, because that's where they would meet. Okay, so— <laughs> Roosevelt was on a boxing commission when he was young, and Maxie was oh, a champion from New York, and oh, they were pretty yeah. good friends. So this would have been, okay. Maxie was champ again in 29 to 34. Sure. And again, I don't know the exact wow, times and dates, but, yeah, he was tight with a lot of people. Uh, the interesting thing is, you know, he, he would know Al Capone and do business with Al Capone, and then one night later in the week he might do business with the President of the United States. It was that kind of life. He had different stages of his life that are just off the charts. And he, and he dated just about every lady in Hollywood. I mean, for a 20 to 30-year period, nobody had a better life, in my opinion, than Slapsy Maxie Roosevelt. Now, the negative, those 400 fights caught those, up. They to, added up, right? 
And even though he was a great fighter, you take punches, like Muhammad Ali. Sure. And as he got older, he did not age well, and he didn't live very long. Yeah. He, he died in his late 60s. 60 years, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. So, so he died, what, in like 76? Correct. So you knew him as a youngster. Very well. I did the eulogy at his funeral. Oh, wow. Um, we were tight. I was like... Uh, his kid, because okay. he didn't have any kids. He would. He was living in Hollywood at the time, and he mm. would come to my house, literally the house I'm in now, uh, two times a week. Okay. At least once, but sometimes two times a week nice. for dinner. My mom would make him dinner, and we would sit around and talk. I heard some story about he enraged Hitler at some point. He enraged Hitler because he beat Hitler's fighter. Oh, wow. Uh, they fought. Okay. And he beat a designated great fighter in New York. Max Baer? No, it wasn't Max Bear. It was um, I'll think of the Max name. Max Bear was, was a heavyweight, right? Uh, it was Adolf Hauser. Yeah, there's, okay. there's the name. It was Adolf Hauser, and uh, it was an interesting fight. Maxie controlled the fight, dominated the fight, and Hitler was not very pleased with it. <laughs> and uh, you know, we all know what happened with Hitler, but that was uh, that, that was a point that Hitler really got irked by when my uncle beat his designated fighter. Adolf and he had a, the fa- the slapsy Maxies. Was that like on Beverly or on Wilshire or something? It was on Wilshire. Yeah. Um, and he had three clubs actually. It was now after he got out of boxing, he went into movies. He did close to seventy movies. He starred with you know Jimmy Cagney, Humphrey Bogart. I, I can go on and on. Wow. Um, he was tight with Lucille Ball. I mean, he was connected to everyone. But then he went into his, his nightclub, Slapsy Maxies, and, and the one locally did well, but he had one in Miami, and I think there's the tie to Al Capone there. Okay. I believe that. I don't know that for certainty. I wasn't back there. What a fascinating story. And then he had one in San Francisco as well. So this, you have this fascinating story, and you, you have, you, you've written a screenplay. Correct. Uh, is, it a, is it a documentary or is it a screenplay? No, it's a screenplay, and we've been... Uh, talking to a number of different outlets. One in particular now has it there. We still haven't had the movement I would like, but it's possible, and we're taking the necessary steps trying to get it made. You know, I, I, I say this to people. The good news is nobody knows who he is, and mm-hmm. the bad news is nobody. nobody knows who he is. When that story breaks and they see this movie and see his life, they're going to be blown away and like, how do we not know about this guy? Yeah, which is great. I love those gems. Yeah, it, it'll be a wonderful story. Let's hope it gets made. I always have said to people, and not because I was involved in it, I think it's good enough to win an Academy Award. I don't know if it'll ever be made. That's the biggest question. <laughs> so. You grew up uh, North Hollywood. North Hollywood. How'd you get involved in sports? Well, I think like, my uncle had a lot to do with it because yeah. I looked up to him, and I also looked up to Sandy Colfax growing up. Okay. And again, I'll give my parents some kudos here. Uh, let's take you back to 1965. I was going to uh, junior high school, or close to it, seventh grade, right around there. And it was the seventh game of the World Series with the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. And at that time, the game was played during the day. Sure. It was on network TV. Vin Scully and Ray Scott, two of my favorite broadcasters of all time, were doing <laughs> the game. Ray Scott was the Twins announcer, and Vinny, obviously, the Dodgers announcer. And I asked my parents, I, I, it was in the middle of the week, I said, I want to stay home and watch it. It means a lot to me. And they allowed me to do that. I wasn't sick. I, you know, there's nothing great. wrong with me. Yeah. But they realized that that meant a lot to me. And to this day, I think that's what triggered most of it. I, I feel the same way. I have a similar story with uh, UCLA basketball. It was staying up late Thursday nights. Right. Because they would sure. do them Thursday and Saturdays. And my parents saw how much that meant to me. Right. And so staying up late Thursday nights to watch UCLA basketball was everything. And, and I would get up 
fired up, ready to talk about it on Friday with anybody that listen. Yeah, but this is really different in that they said, Randy, don't go to school. That's beautiful. Stay home. And I did. And then Colfax goes the distance, gets a great defensive play at third base. Uh, you still a, you still a Dodger fan? Yeah, I, I, I try not to be a fan because I, yeah. I, I don't look at myself as a fan. I don't like that because I think it takes away from my broadcasting. Mm. Uh, I, I know uh, over the years I've broadcast for so many different schools like UNLV, UCLA, BYU, Fresno State for so many years with the Bulldogs. Now I do some stuff with Cal Lutheran. And I can go on and on. And I always tried to pull away. I never tried to get close to the athletes. I can give you an interesting story quickly. Sure. Because I know know, time is always of the essence. (laughs) I'm doing uh, Fresno State at Northern Illinois football. Jim Sweeney takes a tremendous team early in the year, undefeated, to DeKalb, Illinois. They're ranked 24th in the country, unbeaten. They go in there and... One of the administrators, who was an SID at the time, later becomes athletic director. He actually went from sports information director to mm-hmm. AD in, late, in later years. Scott Johnson pulls me aside. He goes, Randy, we really like the way you broadcast. You do a great job. I go, thank you. But here's what we want to see. We want you to be more partial toward the Bulldogs. Oh. And, again, that's tough for me knowing who I am because I like to cut it right down the middle. And, again, you're going to know more about the home team because you're with them all the time. No doubt. Well, the Bulldogs come out and score first. Northern Illinois proceeds to score the next 35 points, and it's 35-7 midway second quarter. (laughs) We go to a commercial break. Scott's actually doing stats for me. And I turn to Scott, and I go, Scott, you got any ideas about me homering it up for the Bulldogs? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, that was always – you could tell that, but Vince Gully is, is, you know, just iconic. And um, you knew he was a Dodger sure. through and through, but he called that game as best he could down the middle, but you felt his sense of being a longtime Dodger guy. And I always preferred it that way myself. Like you mentioned, like I'd rather that game come to me straight and I'll interpret, you know, the homerism. I don't know where the skewed broadcasting really came from. Right. You're speaking to certain fans, and they're called fans because it's for fanatical. But I think the general public would rather see it down the middle. Yes, there is a body. There's an individual there's a number. Home, there's a home field the, or court advantage. Yeah, that, you that can they're going to love you rooting for that team. But I think the masses in general want it down the middle. That's just the way I believe. You um, so that's 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 junior high. So you're it's like, now. What's the first team do you remember playing on? Like an after school team or something like that. What what, what was your junior high? Uh, Walter Reed, nice in, uh, Walter in the Reed. San Fernando Valley. Still, do you there. remember playing on a team there? Or was I that... remember hitting a home run in a All Star softball game against uh, the faculty. Nice. I struck out the first time. Bradford May, who now is my director <laughs> for the okay. Slapsy Project and a very famous director, doing a lot of Hallmark movies and a lot of other stuff. Bradford's a great guy. He was managing my uh, junior uh, high it. school team. I strike out, and he comes up to me and goes, Randy, I may have to pull you if you hit like that again. Next time I come up, I hit it into the street, yeah. hit a home run, and I was the hero for a minute. Isn't that fun? How do you remember these yeah, things? Yeah, that I'll never forget. That's a childhood memory. Were there other adults that uh, took an interest in, in you towards athletics and kind of moved you in the right direction? Well, another interesting thing about in junior high it happened as well is I flunked my shot put test during the regular year. Shot put test. Shot put. We had a test on how far you could throw the shot put. So specific. Is that yes. the only thing? 
You took like a, a math I, test. I don't remember. Like, okay, I'm sure kids, we had. No, I, I, well, test. those I fail for sure. <laughs> but, there, but we took a shot put test, and I flunked. So I'm, I'm sitting. Wait, wait, they're making. Who are they making do a shot put? The coach. He everybody. Had a, he, everybody has to. I got an F. About, they didn't worry about your rotator cuff. No, did they? I was. Okay. I was bad. Was like so now I go to the track meet. Once a year they have a track meet. Okay. And in the bigger division, which I think was the C's at that time, yeah, yeah. they didn't have enough guys. And the coach turns to me and goes, Randy, get in there. Get your clothes. Get in there. Get your gym stuff on. I go, Coach, I flunked the test. He goes, I don't care. I need a big guy. Get in there. I go out. First put, I take the lead. The second one, he says, throw it out of the ring. I set a record which lasted eight years. Come on now. No, true story. Wow. Went on, didn't break. I broke the eighth grade record. That was in seventh grade. Broke the eighth grade record, missed by a few inches in ninth grade, and was an all-league shot putter in high school. Who was that coach? Mr. Walters. Ken Walters. Ken Walters. I love it. Ken Walters, yeah. I like those names for the past because I like to think, too, because I coached in, you know, elementary school for so long. Right. You know? And, and they and have so influence you know what it's on you. like to get yeah. a, a young athlete started. And there's just that moment where it clicks. And but it's so odd, and it was so arbitrary. <laughs> Rosenblum, get in there. Coach, I flunked. Why do you want me out there? But I, I reacted to it, and, man, did I, I was a strong cat. Here's another thing. When I was in high school, I never worked out. I played football, and I threw the shot put. I was the strongest kid in the school. In, in, in high school? or, or High school. In high school. North this, Hollywood. No, this is North Hollywood. North Hollywood. You know, you, you know me, Denny. I leap around. Were you the Huskies? I was a Husky, yeah. Yep. I was Back the up. Husky, but did I was you, big. Did you shop in the Husky boy section? Yeah, I, was, yeah. I had to with my size. <laughs> but I went into the weight room on the machine, easily would bench 300. I never worked out. Easily bench 300. On the machine with my left arm, and I shot put it with the left. I'm ambidextrous. Okay. I write with the right. I could bench 200-plus with one arm. I would never work out. I would do it a few times, put it down, and walk right out. Hmm. But I never worked out. I was strong, but I didn't know how to play football. I was a horrible football player. Football and track, those were your two sports? Yes. Tried basketball, but after what you witnessed with me coming <laughs> in here, you I like that you clean it up with the left hand. Yeah. Well, I, I made a hook. I made a left-handed hook when it was, again, against the – at Walter Reed, I told you the softball game, I hit the homer. Sure. Well, we also played the faculty in basketball, and I, for whatever reason, I got. They came out and greeted me as I came across half court, and I must have been thirty-five feet away, and I got stuck near the corner of the court, and I threw up a left-handed hook, and the darn thing banged in. <laughs> but I was not a very good basketball. And uh, I was athletic director at a Catholic school, eighth grade level and under, and we would do a, a game versus the faculty. And then this one year, this this new teacher came in, and she was a nun. But she happened to be a black belt in karate and wow. very athletic. And when she started injuring all my players, I had to cancel that series, Randy. <laughs> I had to, had to cancel that call. series. Sister Martha. Um, so was, was it at um, North Hollywood? Did you get involved in broadcasting or at least started to call some games or do any kind of PA announcing? None of that. I of did that? go up into the rafters at some basketball games. I would know our players and make up names for the other team. You know, okay. Today, everybody knows everybody. But back when I was in high school, you didn't know who the opponent was sure. in terms of their names. And I did do some basketball play-by-play in the stands, but really yes. never thought about it I, until yeah. I was flunking out at Valley College. Now, did you did were you, did you also, like, turn down the television and call those games and, and things like that? I remember Not until much later. Later on. Okay. But, so but Valley it, College was this um, 
was this Cal State Northridge Valley College? Or? L.A. Valley College. That's a precursor to Cal yeah, State Northridge, right? College, before I went to Northridge. Okay. Ooh, I, see, I, I had very poor grades because I, I just had no concentration. I mean, I was a C, D, F guy. That, okay. You know, those are my – fact, those are the, when, I, when I take an eye test, those are the things that come out. C, D, F, because that's all I could see. And um, so I, I was fortunate enough to finally get out of North Hollywood, and I obviously didn't have the grades to go anywhere. I never even tried to take an SAT or anything. And I went to, to Valley, and I was flunking out there. Okay. And um, I was fortunate enough to get through the first semester, and I was on probation, and I was walking by the radio room. And uh, someone said, hey, you ought to try it. And I said, hey, is it an easy grade? And he said, yes. I said, I'm in. Okay. So I went in, and the only thing I knew was sports. And it immediately clicked, and my grades flipped. And in two and a half years, then I went to Northridge and had Northridge. no problems. And what did you call for their radio station, uh, the, the the college's games? Which one's it? At Valley? At, at Valley. No, I didn't call games there. I just worked in their radio room where I was, I was a DJ. I was doing all uh-huh, that. Okay. Now, I did get my first professional job when I was there. I, I, oh, yeah. I did some play-by-play for a cable company in Newhall. Okay. When I was making $10 in event back who, then. Who did you call? What game? Hard High School. Uh, <laughs> we were doing uh, Saga Speedway, uh, doing some uh, auto racing, All right. which was pretty good. Uh, I don't remember <laughs> the guy's name, but he would drink and smoke in the, in the press box. It was tough to make it. But uh, I know when I got that first check after 10 weeks of $100, I was fired You're up. You were fired up. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Um, what was, uh, so that would have been your first professional job, but what would you consider like, you know, your first break where you really got, so, so you're probably at Cal State Northridge now? Yeah. I moved on to CSUN. Yeah. It was Valley State, which changed to Cal State Northridge. While you were there there, or before? Oh, wow. Look at that. So it changed when I was there. And then, uh, at the end of my last semester, I get hired by, uh, Theta Cable TV. What, what cable? Theta Cable, Santa Monica, West Side, okay. biggest cable system in Southern California. And I went to a couple of my teachers and said, hey, I may quit. I may walk out. And they were kind enough to let me write papers and were giving me C's and B's. I actually bargained with them, and then I, that's how I got out. Okay. I, you know, so I wrote some papers for them, and I went out, and I, I got the Theta Cable job. And at Theta Cable, I did Santa Monica City College basketball. I did Pepperdine sports. Okay. And that was the first big break. I was able to do games with Dennis Johnson, great basketball of player. Of course. Didn't they make NCAAs? Yes. With, that, with that, him? Yes, they did. Yeah, they did. The one year yeah. he was there, you yeah. knew your stuff. Yeah. 75, 76. Yeah. DJ, Flinny Ray Williams backcourt. Nice. Dick Skopehammer. Marcos Leite and Ollie Matson Jr. Ollie Matson Jr. That's the starting five. Because Ollie Matson was a great football, football player, player out of Ohio or something, right? Yeah, okay. They upset UNLV. They oh. upset USF so they, and won the conference. Now, and, and was uh, Tarkanian the coach of oh, yeah. UNLV they were at that point, or was he Long Beach State at that time? They was UNLV, wow. and they were 24-2, and two and they were in the top five in the country. And uh. Ollie's jump shot beat him from 14 feet at the buzzer. I believe it was 94-92. And I remember Bryant Gumbel coming to me after the game asking for the tape to show it on KNBC, the final shot. Bryant Gumbel. Yep. Oh, that's right, because he wore KNBC. He was at KNBC at the time. I um, It's one of my uh, hopes that doing this podcast as things start that's that like a guy like ollie metzen jr just happens upon it and then he hears his name right like i really i really because i think there's there's so much um emotion well, that that triggers in in through athletics that you remember these things forever like i used to have to explain that to um parish uh pastors mm-hmm. they would always say well you know these kids they remember how many points they scored in a basketball game they, they can't remember my homily 
<laughs> that one's like, I'm telling you, Father, there's something about athletics, you know? You know, other than the Colfax <laughs> 65 situation, the, the closest thing to my heart is that Pepperdine team. Gary Colson was the coach. I later worked Gary with him again Coulson. at Fresno State when he was the head coach there. Saw him again when he was in New Mexico in between the two jobs yeah, when he was yeah. in Albuquerque. But I remember those guys. I mean, DJ, the Hall of Fame basketball player, unfortunately passed away when he was 50. Uh, yeah. Ollie Madsen still on Facebook with. Dick Scopehammer still amongst the leaders in scoring and rebounding in school history. Their center, Marcos Leite. Interesting story from Brazil, maybe the best center in the country. I believe a couple things about that team. They lost a tough game to UCLA in the tournament at Pauley. So I believe they win that game. 76, so I believe they beat the Bruins. Is, is, if, that, is that after Wooden? Yeah, this is so 75. This is Cunningham. It was Cunningham's first year. Yeah. Okay, it was Cunningham's first year. I believe the uh, Waves win the game if it was not if it in was Pauley. not a Pauley. Okay, but the interesting thing is Pepperdine only had five good players. Their bench guys – Huge drop-off. Sure. Bruins had 8 had to 10. guys sitting number 12 that yeah. could be starting somewhere. Oh, they would be yeah. big players at Pepperdine. Sure. But I remember Dennis Johnson jumping against Richard Washington. And he controlled the tip. And Washington was an All-American, 6'11", and DJ was 6'4". And then he stole the ball from Andre McCarter at half court and laid it up. And it was the steal and that jump ball that got him drafted. The, the NBA saw what he did. And I talked to Andre McCarter in later years, and he told me he was a great point guard for UCLA. Sure, he was great. He said that's the only time he ever had the ball stolen from him. <laughs> what, was, uh, what, what, what did it take you from there? So you're doing all of those. You graduate from Cal State Northridge. Yeah, uh, you know. Found a way to graduate, did you? Yeah, somehow. <laughs> uh, uh, USF basketball with Cartwright, Hardy, and Boynes. Uh, Bill Cartwright, Winford Boynes, James Trouble Hardy, all three you, you played in the You called the USF NBA. games? For a couple of years. They, they have a real great, uh, rich history in basketball. Yeah, I did the you know, TV. Because from yeah. the Bill Russell yeah, yeah. leading forward, they really, they really, uh, they've always had a, a strong. And they were number one in the country when I was there. Wow. And they got upset. But, they, you know, they lost to Cal State Florida in the NCAA tournament. But they were a tremendous team. Five great players. Uh, the three NBA guys. Everybody knows about Bill Cartwright because he later went into the NBA and played with the Bulls with Jordan and won some NBA championships. But th- those were great teams. And. Um, I remember those. I was the color analyst on those. I didn't do the play-by-play there. I did color, believe it or not. I work with uh, Joe Angel, who has always done a lot of okay. Major League Baseball, and John Miller, who uh, John Miller, the, was the voice the of the uh, Orioles. Yeah, the Orioles, the Giants. And then now, now Major League Baseball. Yeah, he's doing the Giants, and he, and he did Major League Baseball. He was ESPN's number one guy he, he, he on does Sunday a great Night Vince, Baseball. Vince Scully impersonation. Right, I was at the table, and he would do it. <laughs> he's hilarious. Yeah. One thing about John, he always looked old. He looked like when you know when he was young, he looked old, but he's never changed. Yeah. So now he's a little bit older, he looks great. <laughs> yeah, so it's, 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 it's come over. So now, is this around the time that you got to work with Coach Wooden? A little later. Uh, a few years later, jumping forward, I was fortunate enough to get hired to do UCLA basketball. I was actually out of work. Now, I went from out of work to the voice of the Bruins on network cable TV. So network cable TV would have been like some kind of cable. USA Network at the time. And the last year I did it, with Ann Myers on ESPN. And this is right about when ESPN comes in, maybe? Well, I did. ESPN's the, 83 or I something. did 82. That was okay, my first wow. year. I did 82, So you're charting new territory. 84, right in there. And But the first year I was on USA Network. So get this. I do the package. It was a handful of games. Coach Wooden was going to be my color analyst. I get a call from the package. You're going, we've added one game to the package. It's the first game. 
I go, great. He goes, one thing. It's in Tokyo, Japan. <laughs> I go, I'm in. So they played Temple in Tokyo. Oh, wow. I did half the game play-by-play. The Temple announcer did the other one. The Bruins blew them out in the first half at Yoyogi Gymnasium in Tokyo, Japan. What was it like working with Coach Wooden? Was he um, in coach mode at all, or did he have the distance? Because this is about seven years after he yeah. had been the coach. Uh, fond memories. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do, and I, I wanted to establish it early, that I had respect for the coach. Uh, and I told him, Coach, I'm going to call you Coach on there, but I might call you John at times, and I don't want you to be bothered by that. I just want to change it up a little bit. And he said, no problem with that. Right. And we had a good relationship. Um, he was just another guy in the booth, but I tried to tell myself growing up in Los Angeles, watching all yeah, his championship unreal. teams, He's not just another guy. Not just another guy. But the hardest thing is we would shoot our on cameras on the floor at Pauley Pavilion, and we'd go upstairs to do the play-by-play. we sure. do on top. Well, Coach would start signing autographs. People would start coming up. Uh-oh. And I was the bad guy on all home games. So you had to. I had to yank him out of there, or he would have stood, and we would have missed our – He's so yeah, polite. I mean, but again, He's the, such the, a nice guy when he does that, yeah. Yeah, but our on camera would have been good because that was on tape already. But, <laughs> but coach, we got to get upstairs, so I had to do that every time. So, and and, and the did one, you find him to be a good analyst? I thought he was okay. Again, yeah. I was into my thing. Uh, he, he he had insight, obviously. Um, I've worked with greater color analysts if you're just breaking them down from a broadcast perspective. But heck, he's John he's, he's Robert Wooden. Wooden. That's right. So, Did, was he afraid to be critical of players? I don't remember that. I think he just kind of saw it as the, he the saw side it. of him that I enjoy so much yeah. uh, digging in because we work with the John R. Wooden course right. and with Wooden's wisdom on this podcast. Both both of those groups, and sure. so just digging into his archives and stuff. Some of the clips of him when he gets a little riled up. Oh, sure. Are, are fascinating. He is a competitive oh. guy. You can't do what he did without being competitive. Yet he he'll always talk to you. Say we never mentioned the word win. Right. We always talked about this. Oh wow. Did, did, did this guy? He he was a competitive guy. So I just wondering if he just I, like turned it off, or if he I was saw able it to, once. Uh, I'm not sure. I really should share the story, but please. I will. <laughs> this will give you some notoriety. The producers wanted – Larry Brown was the head coach of the Bruins yeah. when we were doing the games. Uh, the producers wanted John Wooden to interview him, coach with coach that we're going to put into the show. Larry Brown turned him down. Oof. So uh, one of the SIDs but, came over he, and co- told the coach, Coach Brown doesn't want to do it. We'll get you an assistant if you want. And coach, that wasn't what the producers wanted. That's the one time he was irked, and I kind of had to settle him down. Would Larry Brown do that because he's trying to escape the massive shadow that wasn't left over the program? I don't or, believe or Larry that. Brown I think just... Larry Brown was probably distant to the media, even though his brother was big in the media, and no doubt. certainly in later years, Hubie's oh, uh, wow. very big well, in the Larry media. Larry Brown was, was a terrific coach. He's, Everywhere he uh, went, he did nothing but win. And I was upset when UCLA let him go. I felt like he was—he should have been their guy. And when I interviewed him, because I did interview Larry Brown on a few of the shows, I had no problems with him. I know he'd always slap me on the leg. We'd sit down in the stands. He'd slap me on the good job and see you later. I mean, <laughs> but he'd come and go fast. So I could see that maybe you might have a point. Maybe he didn't want to get involved with the aura yeah, of Coach Wood. I could see that. Yeah. You've, um, you know, you've always you've said that the highlight of your career is calling the Olympic Games. Not even close. 
not even close. Not, well, you, I can you, give you some great memories. But you're going to say AAU beach volleyball was better? <laughs> well, it's up there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in all candor, I mean, the softball World Series a number of years ago, 92, Lisa Fernandez pitches a oh, shutout. Wow. I call a walk-off homer by UCLA to win the national title. No doubt. That's up okay. there. Uh, U.S. winning the gold medal in rowing in 2004. Now, when they won that gold medal in rowing, that's where you made your – the drought is over. Yeah, for the and that And that is kind of like, do you believe in miracles, but in the rowing world. Right. Is that, is that, is that accurate to say? Yeah, and I had it teed up in my mind. I, I, I never thought I'd really use it because I didn't know if the United States would win a gold. But the, the women the, – the sequence on NBC was interesting. They play the women first. Okay. So the women wins the silver. Commercial break, come back. Now, they threw the commercial break in later. I didn't sure. have that. And now we're down to one race in the heavyweight eights. We've been destroyed in every of the, you know, the other events in rowing. Okay. Americans didn't compete. The only ones they competed well in in Athens were the heavyweight eights, the eight-man boat. This is Athens 2004. Athens 2004. I know we're all over the board no, this is good. This we're is good. We're all over the board. So, like I said, the women finish second. They get the silver. It's one shoot. I'm looking at They come out of the chute. This is it. All or nothing. It's 2,000 meters. They're at the halfway meter, 1,000 meters. They have a big lead, and I'm thinking, this is it. Now it starts coming to me. Uh-huh. We get to a point where I know the Americans are going to hold off the, comp- the competition. I'm turning to Yaz Farouk, my analyst. I wanted her to take the big moment. I wanted to give it to her, and she didn't say anything. And she was a brilliant analyst. Okay. Yaz did a number of Olympics. She's letting you do yours. She just didn't take it. And I turn, they cross the finish line, and I go, the drought is over. (laughs) It was 40 years. They hadn't won that event in 40 years. Wow. Okay. Well, that's what pops up, you know. But I had it teed up in a perfect situation. I'm sure in that, not just in, you know, the Olympic watchers, but especially in that community. Right. That's their call that's a call and that is that a fun part of the job for you yeah i I love drama uh you know as a broadcaster even on a podcast show like this i can get lazy with my mouth i get bored i don't like necessarily doing interviews Mm -hmm. i even get bored and sometimes go out in left field on on broadcast but when there's drama when there's big moments i can play i can play with the best of you will lock in i will lock in so your first olympic games 84 Public address in 84. What'd you do? Uh, basketball. I was, I was one a public of address three, announcer. One of three guys rotating at the forum. Are you familiar with the three C's of public address announcing? I'm not. I'm not. You've got to be clear, concise, uh, and correct. Uh, one out of three isn't bad. I you was know, somewhat clear. My uh, uncle, Jimmy Lennon, took me sure. aside after announcing some women's pro beach volleyball. And he uh, had taken notes throughout the course of the day. I could have used and, his help. And he told me everything I said wrong that day. And I was excited just that my uncle the great boxing announcer was there sure. and then he started telling me everything i mispronounced <laughs> and he finished by saying and and boy whatever you do don't embarrass the family <laughs> that's yeah. great so that, that 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 improved me quickly randy the other two <laughs> denny the other two so public, what was your public address job at, at 84 20 men's basketball games michael jordan and company come on yeah so is that right oh yeah so the so other you were the one who public announced ad- i coming out on the court oh yeah wow patrick ewan michael jordan come on, on. Oh, yeah. that's awesome so the other ones who did it, the other two public address announcers, yeah, uh, the late Don Sawyer, who did the Bruin games for many, many years. Okay. Don was I was friends with Don, 
And that's where I became friends a little bit with John Ramsey, who to my mind is the greatest public address announcer in L.A. history. Okay. Did the Dodgers, Lakers, he did everybody. Sure. He was just the voice of Los Angeles. What a sweetheart. And again, I knew Don from my days at UCLA and all that stuff. I did not know John. And uh, John Ramsey was a phenomenal guy. Unfortunately, we've lost him. But uh, yeah. that was great. And it was supposed to be a volunteer position. Yeah. John said, no, I'll do it for inexpensive, but I won't do it for free. And because of John, we all got paid a little bit. So okay. John Ramsey was a phenomenal guy. So so that was 84. You know, um, one of my heroes growing up and watching high school basketball was Leon Wood. Played I got, I got Leon Monica. Wood stories, too. And, and Leon Wood was on that 84 uh-huh. team. As a matter of fact, he set some kind of Olympic assist record mm-hmm. when he set the state scoring record as a high school player for St. Monica. And I, um, and now he's uh, he's been sure. a longtime pro, sure. you know, referee. And I would love to get Leon. So I'm I'm just yelling a little shout out. Hopefully Leon recognizes the last name and listens in, and it'll it'll, it'll get a hold of me because he's a good guy. I used to know him. Uh, he owes me twenty dollars. <laughs> I, I, his son is an assistant coach or was last year at Santa Margarita Catholic. Okay. And so I told his son he owes me twenty dollars on a game we bet. I think it was Pepperdine Loyola a thousand years ago, <laughs> and. He told his dad, and he goes, I'll I don't collect. remember anything. I'm not giving him $20. I don't know. I'm going to collect. I'll collect for you. See if you right can get here. the $20. Bucks. I don't really care about that. But. So, so, so you're a PA, and then, then what was your next Olympics? Which uh, 92, Barcelona. I did the Olympic triple cast. I did the volleyball indoor. I worked with the late Kirk Kilgore. We built a tremendous relationship. Um, Kirk was a great guy. Uh, we became very close. Uh, he lived close to me. He lived in Van Nuys, yeah. and I lived in North Hollywood, so I would go over to his house. He was a quadriplegic, as a lot of people may or may not know. He hurt himself in playing volleyball overseas in oh, Europe overseas, and Italy. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the Kilgore Cup, I think, is yeah, still giving UCLA. out UCLA-USC yeah. game or something? Yeah, or yeah. Is, yeah. They, they, yeah. They would bring four teams in there, and yeah. they would exchange oh, that's right. uh, at the Kilgore Cup. And Kirk and I were close friends. and, mm. uh, and I, I emerged as a volleyball announcer greatly because of him and Marv Dumphy. Okay. Uh, Marv's the – Longtime coach, now retired at Pepperdine. Sure. And Marv taught me a lot. Marv was instrumental. We're still close friends. And, and Kirk was just great. I would go to his house, and we would just go over every little detail. I was fortunate to have him just a couple miles away where his house was to my house. And so that's how you could learn that sport and anticipate yeah. when you're calling the play-by-play. Yeah. That's brilliant. And then what was the third Olympics? Uh, we had Athens and in between Atlanta where I did the beach. Okay. Did the greatest uh, beach volleyball match in the history of the sport. And I'm proud of that. Karch and uh, Kent Steffes yep. and uh, Hinkle and Sinjin and Smith. Sinjin Smith. Uh, I don't think people realize it. I caught him at the tail end of his career, right. Sinjin Smith. But off of what I saw, I was astounded, astounded how good, and I know you love volleyball, Denny. Sure. How good defensively he was, and that's, he was an older guy already. That's the thing. His, his ability to anticipate and see the play. Yeah. Was was unmatched because you know he was a very good athlete all the way around. That wasn't; it was just his ability to anticipate, and he just you know had had those amount of repetitions. As, as did Karch, you know, just mm-hmm. for so long. But Karch spent a lot of time playing indoor, right. and Sinjin played primarily beach. You know, minus the UCLA run. Now you've seen more volleyball than I have. I know that's your sport, and you've been involved with it for many many years, and more of the beach than I have. Even though I got involved with it, I cannot imagine anyone in the history of the sport being better than him controlling the ball the way Sinjin Smith did. His ball control it was. was unbelievable. It was astounding. So so was Karch. Karch right. laid in there. As a matter of fact, um, I had was looking at the newspaper 
and um, I saw this picture of Karch, and he, at 42 years old, had won the Hermosa Open or something. And I thought, that's really lazy of them because they had the same exact picture last year in the <laughs> times when he won. And I actually had taken wow. and cut out that picture, and I went, and they were different pictures. But what it showed me was how consistent Karch was in his approach to the game. That he was, didn't matter how old he was, he was still getting that low, had that platform, had that technique. And I was like, wow, that's why he's him. And, you know, same with Singe. You could just yeah. you could look at Singe over the years, and you're not going to see, you know, that technique is always going to be nails. It was a one-set match. It was pool play. It wasn't right. a medal match. Uh, four match points for Henkel and Smith. Uh, Steffes and Karch fought back and won it. And, and there was a real rivalry between those two going there on was. at the time. And... Karch afterward basically apologized to Hankel and to Smith saying, you guys really deserve to be here. You guys were great. It is still to this day considered the greatest beach volleyball match of it all was, time. It was time and place too, right? right. Because Atlanta. beach volleyball had, um, had become unofficial. This is the first sport. time. Yeah, it had been a medal sport because I think it was demonstration in Barcelona, maybe, or – this was it. it yeah, it was this the was first the medal. It was and then, um, and and you know, and then you had your two huge stars because Karch was known indoor as the greatest ever. Right. And then it certainly made his mark in beach. Sure. And then Sinjin, of course, had this long run of being in popular culture along with being the beach. And you know, you know, there's this great time in in beach volleyball when you had AVP on the weekends. And then there was another two nights, WPVA and the Bud Light Tour. Sure. And beach volleyball was really in the public consciousness and. Anyways, uh, I was I was that, really that was fortunate. a really big moment. I was really fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. I, I kind of wanted in my heart because I was friendly at the time with Smith and Hinkle. I, I yeah. I'd watched them practice. It's not that I, and Karch is a great guy. I, I, um, I I don't know Stephis a, a little. I just met him a few times at the Olympics. But you know, I was kind of rooting for the underdog, and they had four opportunities they to did. close them out. Couldn't get it done. Give uh, Steffes and, and Karch all the credit in the world for pulling it out. But again, and they went on to win the gold. They went on to win the gold. And uh, give them all the credit in the world. You have uh, called a lot of college sports through the years. Sure. So, BYU, what do mm-hmm. you remember there? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian at quarterback, finishing in the top five in the country. Uh, 96 was the year. I had just come back from the Olympics. Uh, I remember that they won every game I did on TV. It was the Blue and White Television Network. Mm-hmm. Um, it was I took over for Craig Bowlerjack, who went on to network. Um, okay. And it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I did two years there. The second year, they were just an average team. But with Sarkeesian there, had they and we didn't do the Washington game, the one they lost. Um, had they oh, won that right. game, they had one bad half. They would have played for the national title. Wow, they ended up finishing fifth. That's they right, went yeah. to the Cotton Bowl and beat Kansas State. Now, so for many, many years, I did the Outback Bowl. I did the Outback Bowl on network radio for 12 years. And I remember Outback Bowl, Tampa. He, Tampa, that's right. So I, w- I would come, I came back into my room. Very important question. Did to, you get to, to, to watch that you want, BYU team. Did you get to eat whatever you wanted at Outback when you did the Outback? Bowl? They brought us food in the press box. It's important. Blooming onions, baby. Okay, so. <laughs> During that BYU-Kansas State game, I come into the room. It's near the end. I had just done the Outback Bowl. K-State's coming down the field to score to win the game, and I'll remember Omar Morgan, a defensive back for BYU. I had done their games. Intercepted it inside. They were inside Uh, the maybe 10 or 15. He intercepted, preserved the game. BYU wins the Cotton Bowl and finishes five in the country. That was unreal. Was that the Snyder coached 
Case Bill Snyder, yeah. Wow. Bill Snyder and uh, Lavelle. You know, I love Lavelle Edwards, by Lavelle the way. Lavelle Edwards. You know, one of the interesting things I've heard from athletes, um, volleyball players, basketball players, so in arena settings, they always said that the Utah uh, fans were the most abrasive. I didn't find that. <laughs> Isn't that I, interesting? I didn't find I, that I, at all. I thought they, they were. They said they were the loudest and um, certainly cheering for the home team, but sure. they also were. Uh, anyways, UNLV, uh, what do you remember there? I'll get to that in a minute, but I just want to say about Lavelle at BYU, and they always had 65,000 at Cougar Stadium. Uh, you know, you'd see his stern face on the sideline. You'd say, that guy has to be a creep, right? He's got to be a bad guy. Could not have been nicer to Nicer me. guy. I remember I came back to do a BYU football game on radio the following year, ironically, after I'd done the two years of TV. Lavelle was doing his pregame show up in the booth before he went downstairs. Mm-hmm. He personally came over and thanked me, Randy, for two good years, and I'll never forget that. Lavelle Edwards was a class act. UNLV. Um, what do I remember about that is Randall Cunningham. Uh, uh, Randall was oh. our quarterback. I did three years of Randall, wow. uh, 82 to 85. I love Randall Cunningham. I can give you another story when I did one of his games with the Vikings too. But uh, Randall was just fun to watch. He made magnificent plays. Uh, he still to this day has played for the greatest team in UNLV history. He won 11 games. Sure. He wasn't the starting quarterback when he – when he began there his first year, but his junior year when they won the 11 games and won 11 and one, they lost to SMU. But uh, does that does that stadium still stand? I'm confused about where the Raiders did, are building. No, it's a different. Uh, they're going to be at a different stadium on okay. uh, on the Strip. Okay. If, if, if you're on the Strip now, you cannot miss. Yeah, it's right next to the freeway, uh, the new stadium. But they played out at uh, about seven miles off of campus. Okay. So at the Silver Bowl. So Silver Bowl. I, I, Randall Cunningham. <laughs> Great memories. Unbelievable plays. I remember a game. I know Jake Downey, one of our friends, is working on this show. We're playing San Diego State at the big stadium in San Diego. UNLV ended up winning the game easily. But I remember there's a play where Randall threw the ball across the field and it's intercepted. And you're thinking the guy's going to run down the field for a touchdown. And I see Randall race across the field. <laughs> now, normally a quarterback would push the guy out of bounds. Randall shoulder tackles him. You see the guy who intercepted it spin. The ball flies out of bounds. The interception still stood. But, but Randall it, almost decapitated the guy. He, and here's the other thing about Randall Cunningham. Twice All-American punter. He averaged 48 what? yards a punt. I did punt. not realize that. Yep. Did he putt for the Eagles when he played there? No, but he did wow. have a quick kick for the Eagles, which is the longest punt in NFL history. I love it. 98 yards cannot be broken. Wow. From the one to the one. Look it up. Randall Cunningham that is beautiful. has the record. Now, I heard stories he wanted to place kick for the Rebels. What a, he's like a throwback and a prototype for the future type of quarterback, right? He's the guy yeah. who, could, who does all yeah. of the skill work for you like the great quarterbacks would. Yeah. And then he's also what we will see. Now, Michael Vick and all the others. Uh, the one we see today, just, you know, Mahomes big and Watts. Quarterbacks that can run yeah, Randall was the guy. He was. And when he broke containment, you know, you you oh, really wanted to keep him in the pocket. And some of the coaches there wanted to keep him in the pocket. I'm he saying, guys, I go, gentlemen, when he breaks outside of containment, they can't defend the receivers downfield. Was he, was he lightly regarded as a – as a, as a pro, only because he came from a conference that wasn't one of the big universities, and no, because he I, seemed to come. Because to me, he came out of nowhere. When I was watching pro football, I was like, "Whoa!" Well, I had a close friend who was the sports information director at Pepperdine, Bob Rose. Okay, who was at Stanford as the SID later, and we used to argue. I'm telling you, my guy's going to be better than your guy. He had Elway, and I had Cunningham. <laughs> he won, but Randall still had a phenomenal career. 
No, the concern on Randall was not where he came from. They knew he had talent. They thought his delivery was too slow. Okay. But, you know, the way he delivered the football. But that obviously <laughs> didn't pan out. He had a tremendous NFL career. Tell me about Fresno State. Well, this quarter of a century doing different Bulldogs. I went away for a while. Uh, I did Trent Dilfer's games. I did uh, uh-huh. David Carr's games on TV. Uh, I did one of Derek Carr's games on television later. I still am associated. I don't know if I'm going back this year. I hope they don't see this. Um I don't do the men anymore. I did uh, after many many years on TV. The local TV package went away. It was a mm-hmm. local TV package, okay. which had historic numbers in their marketplace. So then I did radio with a gentleman by the name of Paul Leffler. I did color when he would leave for his ESPN radio assignments or TV assignments. I would fill in on the play by play. Then when they brought in another gentleman to do the analytical work, they wanted a coach. I got moved over and did the play by play for the women, which I still Jeez do. Almighty. Uh, I don't know if I want to do it anymore because I have a local television package with KDOC now that has expanded, and I'm doing college and uh, high school basketball, the best teams in Southern California in high school, yeah. and I'm doing some Big West TV there, and it might be too much. I have to make that decision tomorrow. Jeez almighty, Randy. Yeah. Wow. I got tired just listening. Because if I do the women's games to go with the TV package, sure. I'll be doing 40, 50 basketball games in a, in a three-month period, and that's a lot. One thing during the games I would do with you, um, I was, it always fascinated me how you seem to know an entire roster, even if we were just doing a low-level high school team or if we were doing a uh, credible you know, college team. And you need, seem to know the roster, you knew background on the coaches and all of this. Do you have some kind of... Uh, Terrific memory as you've I did. gone through time to be able to I did. compare it against other people's. I remember a touchdown call I made <laughs> uh, with Randall Cunningham to Michael McDade in Fresno at the California Bowl, which no longer exists. That was Randall's final game. Mickey Woods was on that was team. He was a California freshman running back. Bowl, would that have been at Anaheim Stadium? No, it was in Fresno. Fresno. A harbinger of things for me to come. Okay. But uh, I remember that call because – I made the call, I gave the yard lines, I gave the blockers going downfield, and as I look back at that now, I can't do that anymore. Mm. I can't see, and I don't have that kind of recall. When I was younger, I had amazing recall. I'm watching shows now. In certain ways, I'm stronger today than I was a long time ago. In other ways, I can't compete, and that's one of them. My eyesight isn't nearly as good as it used to be. But that call, that UNLV touchdown call on the Cowboy, where I had not only the yard markers, you know, I was saying he's at the 40, gets a block from so-and-so at the 35, gets another block from Jones at the 20, he's at the 15, he's at that. I don't know how I did well, that, but I, I did you know, it. But I also respected very much because I always felt the same way coaching, and if not calling or promoting an event, that irrespective of who the athletes were, they deserved your best. Sure. And whatever uh, game I'd, I'd listen to you on or work with you on, you know, you had you had the, everything memorized, and you know you would call the game to the best that you had. You didn't just mail it in. Well, there's a lot of guys I looked up to. It was Scully, Ray Scott, I mentioned before, and there were many others. It was also Columbo, and uh, and I'll tell you why. The, the detective. Last, the detective. <laughs> Columbo. The last thing he always asked, I got one more question, <laughs> and that is yeah, Randy Rosenblum brilliant. do a T. I love and it. And I would always go back with these coaches <laughs> did and you, uh, these did players you just to go. Our have audience one? would know who Columbo was. No, that's did why you, I wanted you to so explain. That's why I did. So, Columbo's but I would always favorites. go back yeah. to people getting information. <laughs> but I got one more question for you. I got one more question, and I I would try to get as much that information. 
and I still live by that creed. You know, there's a few more questions I'd like I to ask. I can spend the money. So I have you. a question. Oh, I got I got more for you, buddy. Fire oh, away. wait till we got a quiz at the end. You're going to like this. Well, I now, know what it's going to be. But I had a um I had a poster up in my room as a kid. It was of uh, the great O.J. Simpson sure. carrying the ball for the Buffalo Bills in that 2,000-yard season. Mm-hmm. It was it was big. Anyways, um, I understand that you worked with him on on HBO. Not directly. I met him later at the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it was Atlanta is where I met him. But uh, I did the voiceover on HBO series First and Ten. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, and and it wasn't just a normal voiceover. I was a it was an episodic. It was a very popular series on the network. I did 11 episodes, mm. and I just recently, two weeks ago, went back to look at them. And there's four or five of those shows where I'm the main character. And that really, I, I have more pride on that show now looking back, realizing that it was Delta Burke, O.J. Simpson, oh, and yeah. a lot of big names on that program. And the fact that they trusted me enough on certainly four or five of the shows, I was the voice of the California Bulls, and it was a storyline around okay. this football team much more than football but on four or five of those shows where i had 30 40 lines i mean you're talking a big yeah. chunk of the program first so i'm very ten. proud of sure. that first right. and ten you do a documentary uh also narration about nick young the nba star that's true um uh, what's nick, interesting about that documentary well i called the 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 basketball scenes in the movie it's a story about nick young his brother was murdered hmm. and uh and how he and his family dealt with the young boy that murdered his younger brother. Mm. And uh, how they had to overcome their early hatred for him and get over the fact that they killed his brother or their sure. son, because the mother's involved too. Andre Chevalier, now the great basketball coach at uh, Sierra Canyon with all oh, those great basketball he, players. He was part of that, sure. Oh, yeah, he was this, one of the stars of the show because he was Nick's coach. In high school at Cleveland High Is School. Is that right? Yeah. So wow. yeah. So it was about. It's a story about overcoming. Uh, it's called Second Chance Season uh, with Nick Young. Uh, that was a great story. I'm glad Nick was able to overcome the fact that he lost his brother to that shooting. Sure. And it was so much fun for me to call the uh, call the the basketball scenes in the motion picture. You know, um, being in a, named to a hall of uh, hall of fame mm-hmm. certainly a sign of good work, sign of longevity, and you've done both. So tell me about the Hall of Fames you're associated with. Two of them. Uh, the first one was um, the Southern California Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. That was in uh, the mid-'90s, 96. I was doing a project in Canada, uh, a, a game, a video game, mm-hmm. and I had to come back. I wasn't living in the United States. I was, li- I was living in Calgary. And so I had to fly back for the, for the, the night, and it was, it was a great honor to go into the Southern California Jewish Hall of Fame. The oddity, uh, as we have this air as I just produced for them all these years later the uh, anniversary 30-year video of the Southern California Jewish Hall of Fame highlighting the greatest stars of the 30 years and I'm excited to when it comes out yeah I got a got a sneak peek at that it's wonderful I appreciate that I mean some of the some of the wow wow I had Sean Green Amy Alcott Mitch Gaylord I was able to interview a lot of different great people Fantastic. Um, and it was fun. It's 10 minutes. It's a mini doc. And I'm very proud. Uh, Mickey Shaw helped, you know, help shoot the show and edit it. Uh, R.J. Downey helped me with some research. Uh, the Southern California Jewish Sports Hall of Fame is close to my heart. Now, and the other one yep. is the L.A. City Section Hall. Now, I am a – obviously, you know, my whole life I, I've loved high school mm-hmm. athletics. 
I think that's just it's it just it's the sense of community and the sense sure. of history that comes with it. And um, for those that don't know, because obviously this is getting picked up, the, there's a southern section component right. to how the um, Los Angeles extended Los Angeles area works. Mm-hmm. And those tend to be they can be public schools, but in private school districts, private schools and the like. And then there's the city section, which have to lie somewhere within the city of Los Angeles as a as a component, so Correct. to speak, and part of the LAUSD, right? Where the others, okay. Now that said, the city section tends to have this great history, but they also tend to have a lot of obstacles mm-hmm. because they just don't have the resources They're not to, well always, to always keep up. Right. But they, their sense of spirit and heart is encouraging character and, and character right and so when i saw that you went into that hall of fame i thought i was perfect because that's the way you each year we, you and i lined up for about three or four years calling the city section championship games at the Roy Ball center yeah. and um i love the way they they go after athletics and that sense of pride they take in it you know i've had a long career i think you know there's been some ups and downs like everyone else and in Los Angeles, I think most of the people have seen me on these high school games. Yeah. Especially in the city section. LA in other parts of the country, I've done a lot of other things. So, you know, I've probably done 150 to 200 L.A. city section championships in all the different sports. Football, basketball, baseball, volleyball, tennis, track and field. Um, those come to mind immediately. Yes, I did the tennis with Ramona Shelburne, who's now at ESPN. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Um, she got frustrated because we had trouble keeping the score. It was an edited show, so nobody knows that. But uh, I love Ramona. She's great. And she's in my video, by the way, in the Southern California Jewish mm-hmm. Sports Hall of Fame. Um, we'll for sure link to that. But but yet, uh, you know, I've had so many wonderful years with the L.A. City section. And as a mediocre athlete at North Hollywood, I could have never imagined myself as an athlete getting into the L.A. City section right. of the Hall of Fame. Now, I got in for my media television presence but i mean i'm going in with guys like anthony davis the original anthony davis not the basketball player the one who played football at san fernando and Six usc against notre, notre dame, dame yeah, including the kickoff return to begin the second mm-hmm. half so i mean i'm going in with people like that i went in with marv dumphy who was a coach at taft volleyball obviously very good but there's mm-hmm. so many vince ferragamo went in the night i went in i can go on and on but to be in there with that kind of illustrious company athletic company was mind-boggling to me. Now that you're on the committee, I'm going to throw a name at you. Sure. Marley Rice. I know. <laughs> okay. Two-time, she's coordinating producer for Sports Stories. Love it. Right? But two-time Western League MVP. Sure. W- w- girls basketball. Two-time All-City. One of the top scorers that Venice High's ever had. And then it's gone on to a distinguished career in coordinating high school beach volleyball for some of the city section schools, and now coordinating producer for a soon-to-be moderately known podcast. Well, they have a really good host that she's working with, so that really helps her in Denny Lennon. <laughs> uh, I would say this. Uh, th- this class has already been voted on. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and there's a, You just keep it you, in mind. No, no, no. Get the resume to me. I'm serious. I will get the resume to for you. For next year, because right. every year we'll take – Anywhere from 10 to 12 that'll get in. Now, that being And theoretically, said, she could have picked up an assist today if you would have hit that first shot on the opening. That's going to hurt her. That's going to hurt her that I didn't make the <laughs> shot. But I did get the rebound. It, but it wasn't her pass, certainly. It was my shooting. Uh, okay. no, it, <laughs> I will tell you. No, that city section. Uh, but there's a Dodger fame. who's going in, and I won't mention his name. Okay. All right. So some might find their niche in one sport, right? Mm-hmm. But here's 
the Randy that's done them all. Clippers, UNLV football, Liberty and Hula Bowls. No, and you mentioned the, the California Bowl. And the Cal Bowl. I've done about 10 or 12 different bowls. Wimbledon games. tennis championships. That's correct. True. On radio. Raiders talk. Yes, I did it with Jim Plunkett. Uh, how about UCLA basketball? Well, we all Softball World Series. Yep. Beach volleyball. Mm-hmm. Canadian football. Yeah, CFL was fun. I did it with the late <laughs> David Hum. We did the Las Vegas Posse for this is a brilliant. year. Uh, David was a wonderful man. Uh, do you know who David Hum was? I don't. Uh, he was quarterback at Nebraska, played for the Raiders, played on two Super Bowl championship okay. teams. Um, he was the I, backup to Ken Stabler. Oh, okay. okay. Stabler's backup. He was another lefty. Uh, unfortunately, we lost David recently to MS. I love David Hum, one of the nicest people I've ever worked with. The Hummer was a great, great individual, so David and I did those games together. Volleyball, football. Basketball play-by-play for Prime Ticket and Sports Channel America. Correct. Fresno State football, basketball, seven years. Ivy League basketball? Yeah. How did you do Ivy League basketball? What, did, what was that? Well, that's going to lead you probably to Heroes of Wrestling, but Billy Stone, who was the uh, uh, producer of Foss Stone, I was out of work, and I was not uh, insecure about reaching out to people, and I, I, I called this producer in San Diego, and he gave me this name. He goes, call this guy Billy Stone. He uses guys, and... Uh, Give him a call, see what he, he if he needs people. Because the guy at San Diego at the time didn't have any openings. So I called Billy, and he immediately gets on the phone. He goes, I need a color analyst for boxing in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he goes, I'll pay you, but I'm not going to fly you there. I had all these miles built up over the years, um, you know, from flying around for all sure. my different assignments. I go, Billy, I'm there. He goes, I'll get you a rent car. I'll get you a room. You're doing the event. Good. So I flew Ivy there. Did the No, no. I, this is boxing. Oh, that's boxing. So I do the boxing for him. He loves me. We had a great time. He hires me for Ivy League, WTA tennis on TV. And the Ivy League, I was, I was doing Ivy League basketball on Friday nights and Big West basketball on TV on Saturday nights. And let me tell you, that was not easy travel. He's almighty. That was hard. Yeah, that's a little bit of commuting there. So I'm going to take a guess and say the only sport that maybe you've had a little trouble at was wrestling. Well, Heroes of Wrestling. Tell me about Heroes Wrestling. Well, your podcast numbers just exploded. (laughs) Um, I am the most. We will. We have a big wrestling contingency. That I am the most vilified and hated broadcaster in the history of wrestling. (laughs) So I guess it's a badge of honor. It's the 20 year anniversary of the Heroes of Wrestling. And where does Heroes? Compare to WF, like explain that well, universe. Again, I'm not a wrestling guy, but at the time they had these different governing bodies, and Billy Stone wanted to honor all the alumni who were kind of out of it. I see. It so was, it's kind of like a Legends tour. It was a Legends tour, and that's what they wanted. This Got it. was going to be not just one show. Mm-hmm. So it was a pay per view event in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Oh. And uh, who would have thought they liked wrestling in Mississippi? And, Gordy Soli, uh, or Solly, whichever way you want to pronounce it, was supposed to be the broadcaster. He was a, a big name in their industry. I never met the man. Okay. He was uh, the guy, and he was going to work with Dutch Mantell, and uh, Gordy took ill, later passed away, unfortunately. And I was summoned in uh, in the last moments, a couple weeks in advance, probably three weeks. I don't really remember. And... Um, as I look back at it, and I had not looked at it in a long time because mm-hmm. I've been so vilified and hated. I because mean, you called a couple of moves wrong? Yeah, and my point you is. misidentified. Who cares? You said safety. You should have said touchdown. That well, no, it's more like safety, and I'd call it one plus one or. I okay, see. So I explained the event, but I didn't really use their terms. Okay. So. The lexicon. Yes. 
so they just tore me apart. But now there's social been, media did. Social media killed me. I mean, I'm the worst wrestling announcer in history. Well, okay, now you, but you're first at something. Yeah, and hopefully other things. <laughs> Recently, two articles have come out taking my side what? online. Okay, long articles you can check online. I like it. Untold stories of. Uh, the Heroes of Wrestling is one, and another one is from a broadcaster's perspective, which is me. That one, ironically, was done from Fresno-based right. because I was a longtime Fresno announcer who was involved with this Heroes of the Wrestling. But to, to, to tell you, it was an interesting experience, and it's the one thing that does hurt. When you see all that kind of vitriol toward you, I mean hatred, over a couple words, and I go back and I look at it, and parts of that show I'm really good on. Uh, and it just it, and I was thrown in there, and there was some things that were completely out of my control. They changed endings. We had blood splattered all over our table, um, fake blood that the wow. that the wrestlers had. It was a crazy night it, in Mississippi. That that does uh, you know I think what we're gonna do because uh, I like these kind of stories. Sure, is we'll probably uh, we'll open up a a part of our website and we'll let the fans come on in and. Tell, oh. us, tell us about that night in Mississippi. I know one thing they're going to say. We hate Randy Rosenblum. You know, you never know who's going to come in on your side. Well, and be... we're going to we're going to get to the bottom of this, Randy. Well, there'll be few, <laughs> there'll be few and far between. We want the volleyball people to come in because so, that's where I feel great. I have a quiz for you. Sure. I hope you're I'm excited f- about I'm, this. I was never good in school. You ready? Sure. One of the things I like from the LA City section is the nicknames of a lot of the high schools. Okay. Because I think they actually have something to do with um, the name of the – who it's named after. Sure. Something to do with the area that they live in. Okay. Or they're just plain fun. Okay. So let's see how many you get. You ready? Sure. The Academy of Science and Engineering. What do they call themselves? You're talking about um, – I'm not sure. Uh, I know. They're new. This one's – I just – I didn't Academy um, – They're the Adams. Adams? Animo Oscar De La Hoya School. Well, I just did Animo Robinson. They're the Monarchs. But this, De La Hoya, I have never done any They're the Boxers. Ever. Okay. How about Banning? Banning's, uh, we know Banning. Banning's the Pirates. The Pilots. Pilots. Okay. Yeah. I knew you knew you say Pilot because of the aerospace industry. Yes. Okay. Yeah, of course. All right. How about Carson? Colts. Yep. How about Chatsworth? Chancellors. Cleveland. Cavaliers. You're on a roll now. The Dorsey? Dons. Yep. How about Girls Academic Leadership Academy. <laughs> I'm out. Goddesses. I just had. I God, can't. I, like I, that. I, I can't let you go all the way through. Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton's the Yankees. That dog run, right? They are. Hollywood. Sheiks. Good story there, isn't there? I got a lot of them there too. I the, played football against the Sheiks. They called themselves the Sheiks because that's when they were filming uh, yeah, Lawrence well, of Arabia, right? Yeah, yeah. And Omar Sharif went there. Yeah. Something along these lines. Yeah. Jefferson. Jefferson is the Democrats. La- Los Angeles High School. Uh, Los Angeles Romans. Yep. How about Lacey's? Laces, I should know because yeah. I did some of their uh-huh. games. I want to say the Tigers, but I may be incorrect. The Unicorns. Unicorns. Okay. There you go. Know. All right. The Manual Arts. Toilers. The Toilers. That's right. See, the old schools I have no problem with. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. Yeah. I wouldn't have got a few of those other ones. Uh, Marshall. Named Marshall after Barristers. The Barristers. Named Love after the, barristers. the Supreme Court Justice. Uh, Narbonne. Gauchos. Uh, Gauchos, baby. How about North Hollywood? We know that. Well, I'm the Huskies. You're the Huskies. How about um, Polytech? Parrots. Parrots. How Sun Valley. Port of Los Angeles. Port of L.A. Oh, my God. I got their keychain, too. Um, <laughs> I had a guest on it was from Port of L.A., and he gave me a keychain. Let me go back to that. Polar one. Bears. 
Yeah, they're the polar bears. Yeah. How about Pally? Pally, Dolphins. Yep. Roosevelt? Rough Riders. The Rough Riders. How about Taft? Toreadors. Yep. Uh, Wilson? Mules. <laughs> the Mules. Westchester? Comets. That's right. Part of the space industry. West uh, Washington Prep? Generals. And uh, my favorite, of course, growing up, third generation in the city, Venice. Gondoliers. The gondoliers, baby. You did pretty well. Yeah. I'd say you probably, you probably got in your CDF range that yeah, you that's, live that's in. That's what I am. That's who yep. I is. Okay. All right. You ready? Sure. Rapid fire. Pick one. Mayo or Miracle Whip? Mayo. Tacos or burgers? Definitely burgers. Cake or pie? Pie. Beer or a cocktail? I don't drink at all. Ice cream or frozen yogurt? Ice cream is one of my favorite things in life. Bacon or sausage? Neither. You go cats or dogs? Definitely dogs. Spiders, you kill them or you put them outside? Uh, I'm a bad guy. <laughs> There's only been one that's even given the spider a little bit of life uh, so far. All right. What was the name of your first pet? Mister. What kind of pet was it? Dog. Oh, nice. Love Mister. First car. What was Ooh, your first car? Oh, uh, man, I don't remember. Uh, I would say Chevrolet, and I'm not sure of the model. What was your nickname as a kid? Um... It wasn't good. Shot putter? No, it was, um, they would make fun of my legal name. So, um, I don't know if we, uh, Sure. They would call me Ira, Ira, Ira. And then they'd sing my, my name, Ira Rosenblum. Hmm. See, the Randy came from Ira Andrew. So, my parents uh, gave me Randy when I was a I kid. see. Okay. Well, Christmas or Thanksgiving, do you prefer? Uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. I'm Jewish. I know. But, you know, you can still like, <laughs> I like I I, There's a lot of good basketball I get presents on Christmas, on, on Christmas though. What is your favorite ice cream, by the way? Uh, chocolate and vanilla. It's a toss-up. Dream vacation. I've been to a lot of places, and I always enjoy going to Hawaii, and I've been there over 30 times because of events there. Is there a word or a phrase you refuse to use? Uh, there's two of them. One starts with the N, referring to a segment of our population, and the other one hmm. is uh, a Jewish word that I was starts with a K that is similar to the N-word to the Jewish community. It's interesting that I ask people to name the word that they don't use. Mm-hmm. i got to get rid of that question. You're the first one who, like, basically didn't say it because you don't use it. I don't use it. Wow. Uh, took it, me to a new I, level there, Randy. Well, I, I, that's not true. I do use it when I explain the words, when we talk about it as a subject matter. But yeah. to degrade people with names and the Jewish one that starts with the K, I was called as a kid. Yeah. Uh, by a lady who was nice. She was my next-door neighbor. I'm still friends with her kids. Um, but it, I, I guess it hurt me in a way, although I don't believe that it did. I don't, you know, mm. I'm not bothered by it, but sure. I still remember it. Of course. And I just think, why? What, was the, what benefit did she derive by calling me that negative word? No and the same thing is when a black man is, or a woman is called by the N-word, why? Yeah. What does it prove? I don't get it. Well, you lived a life of uplifting people in what right. they do because people put a lot into their athletics. They put a lot of the effort in there, and you're the one who, who, who brings it to the rest of us, right. and, you, and you, uh, you make it sound awesome, and you make it fun. And I've always appreciated that about you. I appreciate that, Denny. And uh, i got about another couple hours I have to go because I have to do a show tonight. <laughs> Let's, we'll take a break. A <laughs> Thank to, you, Randy. i got a show tonight. <laughs> Good luck with the program. Uh, right on, buddy. You take care. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is supported by the AAU. Find a local event and join at aausports.org. And remember, you can catch your favorite amateur sports live stream, replays, and highlights at ballertv.com. 
Sports Stories, along with East Bay, supports the Heroes Movement, a nonprofit that bridges the gap from mental or physical therapy to getting strong again through strength and conditioning workouts. This free service is available for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Visit heroesmovementusa.org for more information. Sports Stories, along with thousands of people across the country, also supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation, a nonprofit that provides traumatized children with new belongings and new hope. Learn more at mystuffbags.org. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. and is available on Apple Podcasts and YouTube or wherever you listen and watch. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. It really helps spread the word. You can find all our social media links, archives, and other info on our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Special thanks to the John R. Wooden Course and Wooden's Wisdom. Original music for Sports Stories is courtesy of Lennon Music Productions. Original images by Sienna Lennon Photography. Sports Stories is produced by Christine Jimbo and Marley Rice. Sports Stories is edited by Bob McCall. Additional staff include Ray Castro, Teresa Dolan, Jake Downey, Carlos Haro, and Buck Magic Lennon. Kick it out, Buck!